the clothes we wear, style is about the way we move through the world. On this episode of Beyond Style Matters, I talk with couture collector Sandy Schreier. While most of us can only fantasize about owning a piece of bona fide couture, Sandy Schreier has dedicated her life to collecting it. The Detroit-born and raised fashionista is the world's largest private collector of couture garments and accessories, with something like 15,000 items in her stash. A brilliant historian and true promoter of the art of fashion, who has both loaned and donated countless pieces to museums the world over, Sandy's love affair with couture started as a child when, through her furrier father, she met a number of wealthy couture clients who gave her their cast-offs. Growing up in Motor City, she also got to rub shoulders with Motown greats like Diana Ross, Mary Wilson, and Florence Ballard, later known as the Supremes, advising them on style and helping to design their costumes at an early, crucial time in their careers. Last year, Sandy and her couture collection were celebrated at New York's Metropolitan Museum with a monumental, eye-popping exhibit of precious pieces by myriad legendary designers. I was lucky enough to meet Sandy in the early days of fashion television, and we became fast friends. I've always adored her for her charm, savvy, and wonderful warmth. And talking fashion with her is always a true pleasure. Sandy Schreier, welcome to this episode of Beyond Style Matters. You are one of my favorites. There's no question that over the years, I got to meet so many people in the trenches, so many different fashion lovers, fashion mavens, fashion enthusiasts. But you, my dear, are a shining star and have always stood out to me in a big, big way. So, oh my God. That just came from Jeannie Becker. I can't believe it. <laughs> what I remember going back to, oh, it must have been like, maybe could it have been the late 80s when I first met you, the early 90s? You were introduced to me, or you know, I was, I was told, okay, there's this lady in Detroit and she's amazing. And she's got the biggest collection of couture in the world. And she started out as a stylist for the Supremes. And it was like, because of course I grew up, you know, totally adoring the Supremes as all kids in the sixties did. So, you know, you've had such an incredible life, such an incredible journey and such an incredible story to tell. I, I don't even know where to start, but let's start with your passion for fashion and why you started loving it so much. When I was two and a half years old, exactly, my mother gave birth to my, one of my sisters and my dad was a New Yorker who had come to Detroit to head Russick's fur department. Now, Russick's was a beautiful, incredible store, a specialty store in New York where they carried furs and they carried couture and jewelry and bridal gowns and millinery, which are hats. And my dad was working part-time in the mailroom when Mr. Nemiroff, the owner and the father of Deanne Arpas, the famous photographer, saw my dad and said, hey, you, you're really handsome. I think if I hire you and put you in the fur department, then all the women will buy a lot more fur coats. And my dad said, well, I don't have anything in mind. I'm going to college, but I don't know what I want 
want to do, and that sounds good to me. So Danny took him up on his offer and became a furrier, learned how to cut furs, learned how to do everything with the skins. And when they opened their branch in Detroit, my dad was sent to head the fur department and to, wow, all of the automotive titans' wives and to entice them to buy more fur coat. And when I was two and a half and my mother gave birth to my baby sister, uh, there were no nursery schools in those days or pre-K. So Danny decided to give mom a chance to recover from childbirth and store with him. And he thought that's going to last a day or two. Well, it lasted until I was five and I went to kindergarten. I went to Russick's with Daddy every single day and I fell in love with the couture and the bridal gowns. And that's why I wrote my book about Hollywood gets married. And I fell in love with um, fashion and all of Danny's uh, clientele, the Dodges and the Fords, saw me sitting there and looking through the pages of Bogan Bazaar magazine, then called Harper's Bazaar. And I had never seen a fashion magazine before, but they had them in every dressing room of Russick. And so I would read, look through the pictures. That became sort of my mother goose. And I looked at the pictures and everybody thought I was so adorable. They start asking, would you like a present, little girl? And I think another thing that they were enticed with is that I was a Shirley Temple lookalike. And I had, and I still do, this is blown out, really curly hair like Shirley's. And I was sitting there not paying any attention but looking at every picture in Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. And they started sending me gifts of their couture. And most of it was seldom worn. Some of it never been worn. Don't forget, you would never dare wear a gown twice when you were a socialite and you went to a ball. You would wear it one time and that was it. Mm -hmm. So that's how it all began. And these presents started arriving regularly. And my mother and father were very upset. And they thought we'd all die of uh, fashion germs. They thought <laughs> these clothes all contain germs and we'd all die of those germs. But I insisted on keeping them. And they sent them in the original boxes boxes that said Scaparelli and Pacan and Patu. And, you know, during that time, they didn't know what to do. That was in the 30s and 40s. They had no idea what to do with their worn couture. Mm. I mean, there weren't vintage clothing stores. And although it was quite the norm for women and clients of the couture to pass down their used gowns or their worn gowns to their daughters or their nieces or their girlfriend. But that was at the turn of 1900. By the 30s and 40s, that wasn't being done at all. One didn't pass down old clothes. Mm. So all of these, the Dodges and the Fords and all of that, and the Firestones, um, they came to my dad and they brought me presents of their scaparellis. Oh, but you weren't wearing these garments, were you? Did you just, you knew that they were collectibles and uh, you? it wasn't like you tried to wear them to the junior prom or anything? <laughs> well, don't forget when they brought them, I was two years old. So right. between the ages of like two 
and Ted. I never wore them, and that genie was an enormous problem every Halloween because in those days there weren't ready-made store-bought Halloween costumes. The mothers would make their children Halloween costumes to go to school every year. And my mother would say, let's take all those dresses and let's cut them down and make them tiny. And you, and by this time I had two younger sisters, and you and your sisters can wear all these and I'll make them for you. And I would scream and yell and kick my feet. And I would go upstairs and lock myself in the bathroom and say, don't catch. And I never, ever even tried on one of the dresses they brought Wow. Me. How did you know that as a kid, that this was such valuable stuff? You know, Jeannie, you're only the second person to ask me that. I didn't know, but all I knew was that it was too beautiful. That's the key word. It was too beautiful to touch. And it was too beautiful to play dress up. So daddy's clients all thought I was going to play dress up, but I never, ever did. And as a matter of fact, Jeannie, when I went to the Met Gala, and this year there was one in September because we missed the one because of COVID. And I wore vintage from my collection for the first time. Now, Anna Winter said we, all the attendees were supposed to wear American vintage. Well, she and I were the only ones that did, but I wore Marc Jacobs from 2011. Now, that isn't exactly Scaparelli from 1938, but I, I wore it and I felt very strange the whole evening because I was afraid that somebody was going to spill something on me and it would be ruined forever. But it was the same dress, actually, that I loaned to Catherine O'Hara to wear on Schitt's Creek. <laughs> That's fabulous. And when, it, and when I saw Dan Levy at the event, he walked up to me and he said, hello, mother. <laughs> <laughs> That's course, so sweet. Oh, your clothes um, that you have collected. And I don't, I don't, I shouldn't even call them clothes, maybe, because they really works of art. Uh, and you have always seen so many of these great designers um, as the true artists that they are. Not everybody, though, thinks of fashion as art or even the potential of fashion to be art. Obviously, not all fashion is art, but the, the fashion that you've found so collectible certainly qualifies in that arena. How how do you feel? What do you say to those people that, uh, and I've even heard some great designers say, no, I'm not an artist. You know, they, they don't want to take that credit. Yet you have always seen that art. Well, starting when I was about seven, I think, my dad had moved from Rustics in 1946 to a store that was only one block away from the Cultural Center in Detroit, which housed the um, main branch of the Detroit Public Library, also the Detroit Institute of Arts. And I made my dad take me to both those places. And I would ask the librarian, do you have any books about fashion? The only books that they had were books about arms and armor. That's it. No books about fashion existed in the main branch of the Detroit Public Library. And so I start when I went to the DIA, meaning Detroit Institute of Arts, I looked for their paintings and I looked for their sculpture. And so many of the Greek sculpture looked like Fortuny dresses that I owned in my collection. 
And I put two and two together and I decided this was definitely art. This could not be touched. This belongs in a museum. And I decided that when I was under 10 years old. By the time I got married and and every time I would travel with him to a different city, I would make a date with the director of that museum. And I would talk to them about the fact that I said, you know, fashion is art and should be in a museum. And I did that long before Diana Breland came to the Met to be their consultant and started really Mm -hmm. publicizing fashion as art. And so that was probably in the early 60s that I started doing that. And now some of the most successful shows at museums are the fashion exhibits because it's what people can relate to. They're not just the most fashionable. They're the most popular. And not only are they the most popular, they are the most well attended. Yes, the most, exactly. My exhibition at the Met ran six month just a week under six months believe it or not and sadly during a lot of it was during covid i mean it opened in november and then by march everything you know started to get shut down every great conversation needs a pause so this is a perfect time to talk to you about our sponsor tsc who without their support this podcast wouldn't be possible Now, as you might know, I've covered the catwalks of Paris, Milan, New York, and London. And so why have I partnered with a retailer like TSC, today's shopping choice? Well, I believe that great fashion should be accessible to everyone. And TSC.ca is home to some wonderful Canadian brands and designers like Kim Newport Mimran, Brian Bailey, Kayla Kay, Ron White, and Hilary McMillan. And of course, TSE offers so much more than mere fashion. Discover quality Canadian jewellery and accessories from Pico, Brass and Unity, and I. You can find more Canadian designers and brands in the CAFA store at tse.ca slash CAFA. And let's all shop better together. So much to talk to you about, like what an extraordinary life uh, you've had and, and just the story of, of your collection alone. But getting back to you and your incredible, inherent, almost savvy, obviously you, you educated yourself in terms of, you know, great taste and developed such, such a level of taste. You went to a place you used to hang out at in Detroit, I guess, when you were a kid, the Queen's Lair, was it called? Was that like a clothing store? Actually, Uh, There was a place called the Queen's Lair, and it was really shocking because the whole neighborhood up until that point was all white. And all of a sudden, this African-American, this black boutique with incredible mannequins and incredible clothes opened up right there across the street. There was a Queen's Lair. And there was me fascinated with the clothes. So I went inside and I hung out there and going to high school. And I met the primates. The primates were Dorothy, Mary, and Diana Ross, who became the Supreme. And when they start doing their act together with the Temptations at a bowling alley called the 20 Grand, there I was hanging out in a bowling alley on 12th Street in Detroit with the Temptations and the Supreme. And you would be giving them advice on how to dress? 
when you were watch them try clothes on at the Queen's Lair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was a teenager. And I mean, you know, and they, I said, feathers would be really great on all of you. And so <laughs> by the time I remember going to New York and going to the feather market and buying all kinds of feathers that I never even heard of, not just marabou and ostrich, but turkey feathers and having them dyed uh, day glow colors that were, you know, on the costumes that were uh, actually one of the costumes that I designed for the Supremes is a dress that Diana wore when she appeared on TV with Sammy Davis Jr. And I have that photograph and I have the dress. You've got so many incredibly legendary uh, outfits besides just la creme de la creme of couture, wonderful creations that were made for very special people and just people that maybe we, we might not even know their names, but that they certainly had an impeccable uh, sense of style. And you, so many movie uh, looks, I know, in your collection as well, uh -huh. like from the great uh, designers of, of uh, wardrobes, costumes for movies. <laughs> How many now? I know you've given away a lot, but when the collection was at its most robust, how many pieces in your collection, Sandy? Well, approximately 15,000. <laughs> okay. So, and I know that this is it, like it, it's storage vaults, you know, in some secret location because, you know, you can't say where this stuff is. But I also know that over the years, some of the world's greatest designers have befriended you and have That's come right. to visit you in Detroit. That's and right. you have opened up your collection to them and they could go in and research let's say uh, tell me a little bit about uh, some of the the ones that had had an impact on you that you got to meet that way well I start working with Yves Saint Laurent uh, in the 60s that story is really very funny um I was modeling in a mother-daughter fashion show for the J.L. Hudson company and um, for a company called Burlington Industries. And it was um, not Burlington Coats, but Burlington Industries. And they did a fashion show in Detroit. And did Yves Saint Laurent himself come to visit you? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And what was he like? Uh, extremely, extremely shy. I find that, you know, Jeannie, I have people ask me this all the time. Because I used to appear on um, AMC, American Movie Classics, and all the shows showing movies mm -hmm. and talk about movie costuming, I got to meet and befriend a lot of the most famous movie stars in the world. And I consider Bette Midler one of my dearest friends. And this year marks our 40 fifth year of friendship. Us little girls have been friends for 45 years. And um, I got to meet all these famous movie stars and, and, and designers who have been in and out of my house over all the years. And it didn't take me long before I realized that everyone is fascinated with fashion. And the movie stars and the costume designers in Hollywood were fascinated with me because I was telling them the history of the couture and they were sharing with me the history of Hollywood costuming. Mm -hmm. And that's why I start writing books about Hollywood costuming, mm -hmm. although that's the smallest part of my collection. Mm -hmm. So very, many, 
uh, American ahead. designers too, uh, you know, have frequented uh, your archives, let's call them, or you're, you're looking for inspiration, um, obviously. Uh, yes. Isaac Mizrahi and, you know, back in the day when Isaac was designing, you know, some really sensational uh, fare for the runway yes. and for his own collections. And certainly Calvin Klein, even, you know, legendary designers. What was that like for you to, to did you see the cogs turning almost when they would come in and ask to see certain pieces from certain vintages? I think it didn't really hit me, Jeannie, until Michael Kors came. And he asked, before he came over, he asked me if he could please see Halston. And he mentioned specific years that he wanted to look at. I don't remember anybody before Michael, and I adore Michael, by the way. And I absolutely love him. And I knew he was going to be a big sensation. I think I knew it before he knew it. Probably his mom, Joan, and I knew it. And when he came and he looked at the Halstons, then I was invited to his runway show in New York. And when I went to his runway show, it was so obvious to me that his influence was were the pieces of the Halstons that I had shown him six months to a year, maybe two years before. Mm. It was right there on the runway. And I think that it was Michael that really turned me on to the fact that I could perhaps be an influence to a new young designer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some people um, lament the fact that there isn't enough new in the fashion world today, that so much of what we see on today's runways is taken from the past. And there's so much referencing that goes on. And of course, you know, rightly so, there's been some great creations, some great work of art in the past. You want it to live on and you want to keep seeing shades of it. But uh, how do you feel about that? Do you feel that maybe there's a little too much looking back? You know, there's an old Japanese proverb, I think it's 18th century that says, what has happened before will happen again. I think that relates so much to, sadly enough, world events um, with what's going on today in the world. And happily enough, it relates in a lot of ways to art and design and fashion. I like seeing and I enjoy seeing influence, but I don't like it when it is um, a direct copy. But I think that it's nice when my favorite time was the 60s, of course. <laughs> and that was a time that I thought that I looked really hot. And I modeled for Vidal Sassoon. And Mary Kwan dressed me. I wore Biba makeup. And how Last inspired time. are you by what you see today? Or do you look at everything practically that you see and go, hmm, seen it, you know, been there, done that? I can honestly say, Jeannie, that I have never seen nudity so out in front as I have seen on the runways and in the fashion magazine and in the print magazines, I mean, the print magazines, newspapers, et cetera. Um, and I saw it mostly online, but not in person, unless I saw a fashion show, which I have seen a lot of runway shows and couture shows in Paris. But when I was at the Met Gala, oh, which was uh, September of 21, I was in shock at seeing as much as I saw of body parts up close and personal. And I'm not approved, far from it, but 
I think that it has been so overdone. I mean, what about the mystery of clothes? What about the beauty of clothes? I am tired of flapping thighs this season, running down the runway. Yeah. Uh, some people, you know, people are taking pride in their bodies, though, which is a great thing. All That's kinds right. of bodies. I have a question for you, and I ask myself this question all the time. And now I can ask you, and I don't want to put you into my decade, but, you know, I ask myself, am I feeling jealous because at my age, I can't be doing that? And or let's put it this way. I really don't think anybody wants to see <laughs> seniors out there nude right now. But Jeannie, so is it jealousy? I don't know. I mean, jealousy means that you wish you could be doing it or you wish you were back. But, yes. you know, I don't envy anybody for anything. And, I, you know, I don't know. How can we be jealous when we grew up at the most incredible time in pop culture and when fashion was just exploding? I mean, really, like you say, the 60s. Wow. It just didn't get much better than that for me. So I've been there and done it all. And I feel really sad for those of the young people today because they didn't live through those periods. They They were really great, weren't they, Jeannie? But they get to uh, almost experience them or at least live vicariously through these old uh, vintage clothes and these wonderful old garments that, you know, speak of the era. And that's why I think vintage dressing is so hot. You know, people just appreciate that so much. And the young people, you know, appreciate it so much. It's, It's just wonderful to see them giving new life to some of those old looks, for sure. Um, you collected uh, for so many years, decades, um, and it was you were going to auctions, and you were, you know, some people don't even know where do you find this stuff. I, I'm sure a lot of people sought you out when they knew that you were a collector. Your husband and I am so blessed that I got to know Sherwin. Like, what a doll, handsome yes. as can be the gentlest, cutest, funnest, smart, you name it. Yep. But what I loved about him the most was that the way he indulged you and supported you and obviously adored you uh, and really allowed you to amass this incredible collection. What, what can you say about him and his support? Well, I can't say enough. There isn't enough time in, in, in this program or in my life to sing his praises enough. I mean, all I can tell you, he was the most loving husband and father. He was the smartest, the kindest, the most brilliant, the best looking. And when I introduced him to George Clooney, um, George said, I don't know. You know, everyone says I'm the best looking guy in the world, but after meeting Sherwin Schreier, I don't think so. And so that was a really great compliment. Mm. That was really terrific. I do remember a time we were out together, and this is, you know, probably decades ago or early on in our relationship. And you had felt as though, you know, what am I going to do with you had, had already amassed the collection or a large part of it and it was almost like a a millstone around your neck in a way just because here you had all this stuff and what were you I mean you were loaning certain pieces out to uh, museums as as you've so wonderfully done and you've donated so many pieces now to museums around the world but it was almost like 
a weight. It was like this thing that you had out there in the world. What were you going to do with it? What were you, were you going to sell the whole kit and caboodle? Were you, tell me a little bit about that and now how you feel about the collection. I don't know. I know it's a lot of it's been promised to wonderful institutions like the Met and uh, they've already displayed so many pieces so brilliantly, but what, what do you do with all this stuff? I'm still asking myself the same question, Jeannie. No, I, um, when Sherwin sadly enough passed away, um, until he passed away, I thought we were still 19 years old and we were going to live forever. And I came, um, I didn't come down to earth because if I came down to earth, I wouldn't be Sandy Schreier anymore, but I'm being a little more realistic and, um, I am gifting and I am uh, making plans for these pieces in the future because people always said to me, and I know I told you this, they'd say, Sandy, what's going to happen to your collection? And I'd say, you know, I, uh, when I was in Spain, we visited Isabella, Fernand Isabella's tomb. It was a big mausoleum. And she took all her art and her clothes with her when she went. Mm-hmm. And I said, I am going to take everything with me when I go. <laughs> well, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. I don't think that's going <laughs> to No, that just isn't going to happen. But, um, you know, I am, I'm not a realist. I'm far from a realist, but I, let's put it this way. I am taking care of business yeah these things belong in museums Mm -hmm. they belong where people can see them and admire them and future designers can be inspired by them and um when uh, I did uh, my show at the Met, I was in the galleries um for many months until the Met closed during COVID and um people were coming up to me because they saw the portrait that Theodora Van Runkel did of me on the wall in the gallery and they recognized me. And um, they all said, this is the most fabulous costume exhibition I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I'd say the Met has incredible costume exhibitions. I mean, how could you compare this to China Through the Looking Glass or Alexander McQueen? And they said, oh my God, this is so much better. And I said, tell me why. And they all said the same word. And that word was relatable. Hmm. I don't exactly know what that means, but I think Hmm. that that meant they also also said that the articles about me in the newspaper and in magazines and watching me on TV was like, I've lived a fairy tale. And that's what you said at the beginning of this. um, You know, I think that I lived a fairy tale and I didn't know it until the Met because I achieved my lifetime goal, which was to have, I mean, how many people can say, go around and say, oh, one day I'm going to have a show at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I said. But the thing is, Sandy, you know, on a a personal level, you are, you, you are so real. You're so, I know you don't like to think of yourself as down to earth, but you're, you're a girlfriend. You're, you know, you think of people that know oh so much about fashion and the academic um, background, even of, of fashion. And you, you know it all, yet you really just have a, a very relatable passion for the subject that, that makes 
us get excited, you know, listening to you talk about it. I mean, if anyone follows your Instagram posts, you're a brilliant storyteller too. And people should follow you on Instagram because you tell the best stories, you post the best pictures and for people that really want to know the inside scoop. So what, what an absolute joy. I mean, I could just listen to you go on forever. Just tell me one, one last thing, the role that fashion plays in our lives today. And I know we've all got our backs up a bit about excess and we've got too much stuff in the closets and sustainability and what are we going to do about it? You know, fashion has caused a lot of pollution on our planet, but why would you say fashion remains so relevant in our lives? What is it about the role of fashion today that's important to you? I think that what are the generation today the modern generation has forgotten is that fashion not only tells, mirrors society and mirrors the times in which we live, but fashion mirrors each and every one of you. When you walk into the room before you open your mouth, what you're wearing tells the story of who you are. And I think that it would be nice if more people knew that, if our younger generation didn't get caught up in the whole craze of buying, buying, buying. And I also think it would be nice to buy less and to buy better. And so that's what's important. I don't think it will ever change. If you go for a job interview, whether you go in person or whether you are Zooming, and whether you're wearing your pajamas from the waist down, boy, you better look pretty good from the waist up. And hopefully wearing something fabulous as opposed to showing off what God gave you. Oh, listen, Sandy, you're just a delight. I just wish you, you know, continued happiness. Um, You've been a great inspiration to so many people. And I know that you and your fabulous collection will continue to inspire the way it has. Jeannie Becker, coming from you, that is such a compliment. I adore you, and most of all, I adore our friendship. Let it go on for many, many healthy years. Thanks for listening. New episodes of podcasts will be coming at you every other Monday. You can watch Style Matters Thursday on TSC or online at the tsc.ca website. Till next time, I'm Jeannie Becker.